0: this morning. Those of you that are regular, you freaked out that I am here behind this podium without a PowerPoint. Well, I'll only be behind this podium until I get the microphone on. I forgot it. But I will not have a PowerPoint this morning. Because I'm going to focus literally on one phrase. And it is a phrase of I know. Single one of us knows somebody. All of us are probably also known by somebody, right? I don't think there's any of us in the audience that we don't have anybody that knows us and we don't know anybody. But do we want everybody that knows us to be associated with us? I lean towards know on that. I'll give you a a prime example. Open up with me to Acts the 16th chapter. In Acts the 16th chapter, if someone came up to me and said this about me, and I didn't know them, I've got to be honest with you, I'd take this as a compliment. Someone comes up to me, and they say, in front of other people, in front of a crowd, shouting, following me along the sidewalk or in my car, and shouting this out to everybody that can hear. Notice with me, in verse 17. She followed Paul, and she was crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And she did this for many days somebody follows you around for many days and says, man, I know you. You're someone who's truly serving the highest God and the only God there is. And you're telling other people what they should do to be saved. I'd be like, thank you very much. Not Paul, Because she was not saying this of her own mind, her own cognizance, she was possessed with a demon. And Paul, verse 18, having become greatly annoyed, do you want demons giving you credit? We don't really want demons to give us credit, do we? do you want the most notorious criminal to be like, I know you? Much less the most notorious criminal following me around for days saying, I know you. You're a servant of the Most High God. They're probably not going to want that so much. And so Paul says, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. And it came out that very hour. You see, just because we know someone doesn't mean that they want us to know them. There's a lot of things that happen with individuals, and especially even in the spiritual world, in these things. I want you to think about some people that knew who Jesus was, but He didn't want any part of it. I want you to go to Mark, the first chapter. In Mark chapter 1, Very bold statements are being proclaimed by Mark very abruptly and very quickly. That we have Jesus teaching in the synagogue on the Sabbath. And he heals uh, a man that has a demon. And I want you to notice what was being said. Look down with me in verse 23. But immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out. I want to begin. Where were they at when this demon cried out? They were gathered together, reading their Bibles, praying, having their worship service. And in there, the demon cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You are the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him and he said, be silent, come out. of Jesus didn't want the endorsement deal from the demons. A, it was not time. B, you don't want demons endorsing you. That is why if you have a multi-million dollar endorsement deal with a company or a billion dollar endorsement deal with the company... And you go off and you commit some act of violence. Maybe you're Oscar Pistorius and you shoot your girlfriend. If you are Tiger Woods and you cheat on your wife with hundreds, thousands of women taken right away from you. You're O.J. Simpson and you are on the run in a white Bronco because you are suspected to have murdered your wife. Guess what? They all happened. When that comes up, the endorsements are cut. The money that was once in your pocket, because guess what? Hurts in the case of O.J. Simpson, they didn't want him representing their company anymore. Nike, EA Sports, they didn't want Tiger Woods representing their company anymore. And Nike didn't want Oscar Pistorius. If many of you don't know him, he is the Olympian Track star with only one leg. He's an amputee. They didn't want that anymore because of character issues. And so, just because you know somebody, because when you see that individual, you're going to associate them with that brand. And Jesus did not want to be associated with the demons, even though the demons knew who he was. They knew that he was. The Holy One of God. The demons also knew in Mark chapter 5 something else about it. That for whatever reason people, even His own disciples, had trouble grasping at times. And again, this is the story where there is a man who is often found naked because the demon would take him. They would chain him up and he would break the chains. They would find him Naked in the cemetery. And everyone's afraid to go anywhere near him. And this encounter with Jesus comes in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 6. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and he fell down before him. Again, get the picture. He sees Jesus, this man with the demon, sees Jesus from afar, and he runs to him. And he says, what have you to do with me? If he was really afraid of what Jesus had to do with him, why did he run to him? But he ran to him, what do you have to do with me, Jesus, son of the Most High God? You see, they understood, again, that He was the Son of the Most High God. And they're using, I wonder about that phrase, Most High, because they were worshiping and they were serving someone else. that's what demons are. They are servants of Satan. They are angels of Satan. That's basically all that they are. And that's who they're serving. And they're saying, we know that You are the Holy One, the One that is sent by the Most High God. We know that You are the Son of that One that we are not worshiping. And Jesus said, you come out of him, and what is your name? And he told him his name, etc., etc. I say all of that to say, just because I know somebody, or I know something about somebody, doesn't mean that that person wants anything to do with me. Because maybe there's some reason in my life that they don't want to be associated with me at all. And we understand that from the other's perspective, right? We're walking down the street, and we see somebody over there that we know. And we say, well, I don't don't want them to see me. I don't want them to see me. And we go. The point is, just because I know you doesn't mean that I want to be known by you or associated. How could that happen with Christians? Yeah, I I know who you are. You're the son of so-and-so. You're the daughter of so-and-so. You sit over there. You usually wear this. You live here. You live there. But if I saw you out on the street, because maybe I also know about that individual who I worship with. They got all kind of terrible things going on in their life. So somebody else in the community says, "Oh, you know so and so." Well, you understand what we're saying, right? It can be a very dangerous thing when we don't have our character and we're not who we're supposed to be. And there wants to be relationships there. That's why that whole idea happens in First Corinthians chapter six, where the brethren are taken brothers to court and he says isn't that a shame like don't you have judges inside instead you're going before the world these unlawful men and you're making the church look bad fix it in this way I know you, let me give you another phrase the second phrase of how we use the phrase I know like, now I know him And this might happen with your spouse. This might happen with your friend, first off. Your spouse. Like, you remember the newlywed game? I don't even know if it's still on TV or not, but that premise is still out there, right? You get two people that are relatively new, newlywed, right? And you test their knowledge about what's her favorite meal. If she's got a Friday night and she doesn't have to work, what does she want to do, right? And you might be sitting there thinking to yourself, man, I know exactly the answers to these questions. And you're all confident about this. So the question is, what is her favorite flower? And you say, oh, I know she wants roses. And she flips her card up. Lilies. What? just when do you want lilies? Like, I've been getting you roses for five years. She's like... I know, you've been getting me roses for five years. I wanted lilies. You never asked. You never listened to me. All of those things happen, And here's what I'm saying. We claim to know God. I want you to notice that we claim to do things for God in that we know Him. That was kind of what Jeremy read in 1 John 2, but I want to look at John 16 first. This is really the verse in John 16 and verse 2 that got my mind thinking about this idea of knowing someone or specifically knowing God. And truth be told, I don't really know that person. I've even been with my spouse maybe for five years or ten years. Or maybe it's more embarrassing. We've been together for 50 years and you find out you've been all wrong the whole time. What we have in John 16 are people who do religious things for God. But they're wrong. Jesus says to His twelve, well, it's really eleven at this point, in John chapter 16, the night in which He is betrayed, He says, I've said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. And indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think that he is offering Service to God. You see, when they kick you out of the synagogues and the places of worship, they think they're serving God. And when they kill you, they think they're serving God. He's not talking about the people that are doing this that just hate you in general, but people that are really think that you're a heretic and that you are wrong and that you should be killed as a false prophet, as a false teacher. But he says, verse 3, they will do these things because they haven't known the Father or me. You see, we have people like the Apostle Paul who killed Christians, didn't he? He cast his vote against them so that they would be killed. He would go great distances to drag them to prison, men and women. And he thought he was giving service to God. He thought he was giving God what he wanted. Instead, he was giving roses and God wanted lilies. It's because he didn't know. You say, how could could he not know it? He was brought up at the law by the best teachers of the day. And he was progressing above all and beyond. How could someone like that not know? Well, you ever been with your spouse or someone? Maybe it's a co-worker. You've been with them for all these years. And maybe you just weren't paying attention. You just didn't get it. And that's kind of the case with the apostles. That Jesus did things over the course of His three and a half years with them. That sometimes He's like, yeah, you don't need to know this. He would say that in John 16. i got many things to say to you, but you can't bear them now. Then other times, like Mark chapter 8, I want you to go to Mark chapter 8, and he'd say, man, how long? Well, in fact, just go back to John 14. I told you to go to Mark 8, but go to John 14. It's right there, right beside where we were standing. Then in John 14, he says, where I'm going, you know the way. And Thomas said to him in verse 5, Lord, we do not know the way. Or, excuse me, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus says to him, You know how to get there. You know where I'm going. And Thomas says, Hold on. We don't even know where you're going. So how in the world can we know the path, the route, to get there? And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. And here it is, verse 7. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. They didn't know Him. They had been walking with Him. They had been listening to Him for years. And they had been absorbing His teacher for years. But yet they still didn't know Him. Because if you had known Me, He says, you would know My Father also. And from now on, you do know Him. And you have seen Him. And Philip said, "Uh, Lord, show us the Father. And it's enough for us. Like, Again, how are we supposed to know the Father if we don't, like, just show Him to us? And here's what Jesus says from verse 9. Have I been with you so long and you still do not know? That's pretty awkward, right? It's awkward when you see somebody that you don't want to be associated with. It's more awkward when someone that you are very closely associated with doesn't know. And they think. It's very disappointing, right? It's very discouraging. That that makes a rift in the relationship and it becomes something that is difficult to ever patch up. But religious people all the time do this. That's what 1 John 2 says that Jeremy read for us. People claim to know God all day long. And out of good conscience, offer sacrifices to God. But yet they don't keep what he says. And he says the person that says I know him but doesn't live like him is a liar. And the truth is not in. Now let's go back to the first point of I know who you are. Someone walks up to you and says I know you're a liar. That makes us feel all warm and, and fuzzy inside, right? We want to flat out bunch of... I don't even like to punch people, but I don't want to punch somebody in the face. They just come up to me and say, you're a liar. How dare you? You don't know me. You see how this all works? God is saying, you say you know me, but I actually know you. And if you claim to, you claim me, but you're not living like me, it's not father like son, but it's son doing whatever he wants to do. How many of you parents have said, oh, that's your child. That ain't, that ain't my child, that's yours. Honey, that's your child. I say, man, that's yours. No, are you a liar? You are not my child. We are not in a relationship. You might think that we're together. That happens in the dating world. Where it gets complicated sometimes. Are we together or are we not together? Are we dating or are we not dating? And one person might think that they're dating someone, and the other person is like, "Hmm, (laughs) and that's the way it is spiritually speaking. I'm sitting over here saying, me and God, we got a great relationship. I'm giving him my tithes. I'm offering his sacrifices. I'm going to church. I'm doing all this stuff. But yet I'm out there living however I want to live, and God's saying, Man, that dude's lying. He ain't got anything to do with me. We're not together. We're separated. I'd be okay getting back with him or her if they change their way. But as it stands right now, I don't know. She doesn't know me. Vice versa, whatever the case is. That happens all the time. And the truth would be for you and I, most of us, We've had enough time and enough study, man, if we ain't figuring out Jesus now and we don't know Him now, when are we going to get it? Because when those moments of clarity come, of like you realize, man, I need to really do this, I really need to change this in order so that I can be right before God, and I let that moment slip, I let that moment pass, if that moment comes back again, it's not nearly as convincing as it was the first time. To the point where I now get comfortable just saying, you know what, I'm a Christian. But I don't really care about all this other stuff that goes with my life. So that's how someone else might say, I know him. Here's the third way someone might say, I know him. Is that you got somebody that, and, and I was thinking about this the other day. We were working uh, at Yankee Stadium for the Red Sox game. And we were in this this Ford MVP lounge. And I heard the security guard tell a new security guard, if you see somebody in here that doesn't have the wristband, you have every right to take their ticket. You can kick them out of the stadium because they don't belong here. I got to thinking about that. See, I know him. If I was in there and they don't see my credentials, there is nobody in that room is going to be able to say, I know him. If George Steinbrunner, or whoever the owner of the Yankees is to this day, right? If he finds you in the MVP lounge, and he knows you, is he kicking you out of the stadium? He's not kicking you out of the stadium at all. He's going to tell those security guards that work for him. I know him. He can stay. He can do his thing. There's a parable similar to that in Matthew chapter 22. In Matthew chapter 22, a man has a son who is getting married, and he has invited all of these people to the feast. Now, I'm pretty sure it was like today when you have a wedding, you invite people that you know, right? We're not asking random Joes off the street, hey, I need bodies at my wedding because it's not costing me anything to throw this big meal. I just need bodies there. No, you invite people to your wedding and your reception that you know and you want to be there with you to celebrate this. So that's what we've got. 22 verse 1. The kingdom of heaven, he said, may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. And he sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. The people that he wanted there said, no thanks, not going. So again, he sent other servants, and he said, tell those who were invited, see, I prepared my dinner, my oxen, my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready, come to the wedding feast. Okay, you guys go, you tell them, I got the best food. I got everything. I, this is going to be top notch. This is five star. They'll come. Everything's right. You ain't got to do anything. You don't have to bring anything. Don't bring any gifts. Don't bring any money. Just come. You ever wanted somebody at something so bad that just, I mean, just show up. Just come. But they didn't respond that way. Verse 5. They paid no attention. And they went off one to his farm, and another to his business. And the others, so those that didn't care, they just went on did their own little thing. Sorry, not really looking for having a little calf and oxen tonight. I'd rather just do my own thing. But others, they seized the servants, they treated them shamefully, and they killed them. All because this guy wanted him and them to come to his feast. They didn't want to come. By the way, he's talking about the Jews here. How he wanted the Jews to be apart and they refused to. But here's where the rest of the story goes. So the king was angry. And he sent his troops and he destroyed those murderers and he burned their city. How dare you kill my people? I sent them to bless you. And you murdered them. So let me send my people now. And I'm not going to invite you. I'm just going to deal with you. What you was going to do to the city of Jerusalem. And so he said to his servants in verse 8. The wedding feast is ready. For those who are invited were not worthy. So go therefore the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. I want you to think about that for a second. got all these people that are canceling last minute for your wedding. Are we going out on the street and just bringing anybody in? No, probably not. But he said, I'm bringing in all these other people. You go out and you find as many people as you can find because it's ready, those Gentiles. So verse 10. And those servants, they went out on the roads, and they gathered all whom they found, both good and bad. For the wedding hall was filled with guests. That phrase, both good and bad, I'm not 100% sure what that means. Besides, you know what, even in the kingdom of God, people that show up, there are some good ones and there are some bad ones that come in, right? Well, verse 11, it's all filled. And the king would come in just like in a big old banquet, He's not there first and everyone else files in, but he's got to show up quote fashionably late because he is the one of honor. He walks in, the king comes in and he took a look at the guest and he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. He said, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. The king said to his attendants, Bind them hand and foot, and cast them into the outer darkness. And in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. I think part of what this parable is teaching us is that even in the kingdom of God, some people are able to sneak in for a little while. see, he was in that feast taking apart the calf and the oxen and being with all of those people that were in beautifully white garments, which I'm assuming is what that was, showing the idea of purity. And yet, the king comes in and he notices one that doesn't happen. We well, might be saying, man, it's just one guy. You already prepared this stuff. King is saying, "No, you don't belong. I don't know you. Get out of here." Many are called, few are chosen. See, most people they don't answer God. He knows them. He knows the hairs on their heads, and he's saying, "Come to me, all you who labor." Michael talked about that maybe two weeks ago, being yoked. Calling us, just come, come, drink for free. I say who would say Just come to me. It's ready. All things are ready. We sing the song come to the feast. Like just come on. And we don't go. And we try to sneak in, and God's like, Oh yeah, I know him He doesn't belong here. Or I know him. He belongs here. Because we know him. You see, he's my father. And I'm going to be like my Father. Like Father, like Son. He is my Lord. We didn't mention that one. I left that one. The demons said they knew that He was the Lord. They knew He was the Master. And you and I, we may intellectually know that Jesus is the Master. But we don't follow the Master. We don't give Him what He's asked us to do. We give Him what He... What we want to give. And so he looks at us. And he says I don't know you. You workers of iniquity. But Lord. Lord. Master, Master. Did we not do all these spiritual accomplishments in your name? Yeah, but I never knew you. You didn't know me. I didn't know you. But to others he will say man. I gave you one little talent, and you went and buried it. And you were a wicked and faithless servant. I gave you two, and you went and you made two more. Man, good, faithful servant, enter into the joys of your Lord. I gave you five. You went out and you made five more. Good job. Faithful servant, enter into the joys of your Lord. old joke is that Peter is standing at the gates of heaven saying you're in you're out it's not that way at all Jesus says you're in, you're out I know you you come in I know you you stay out and is Jesus going to say I know him come on in I know him, stay on out. And I'm going to say, I know him. Like you know me. We, We know each other like Jesus. I never. That phrase never bothers me a lot. I'm not going to lie to you. That's how serious we're talking about if we aren't walking as he walked. To the point where there will be no benefit to us whatsoever. In fact, it will only be worse for us. Because, the phrase from Peter is, it would have been better to have never known the way of righteousness. It would have been better to have not known that my wife or my husband wanted this and I gave them something else instead. Because I can can then plead ignorance and I cannot eat myself over if only I had known. God says to whom much is given much is required. The more we know the worse the beating. Luke 12. The one who doesn't do the will. So what's it going to be for me? Am I going to be saying I know you? Like yeah but I don't know you. Like I know you. You hear my voice. Follow me. Let's go. May we each and every one know our God the way He wants to be known intimately and follow Him wherever He goes. Where He leads, I'll follow. Maybe this morning you're ready to submit to Him. You're ready to get to know Him. You're ready to count all the things that you've gained in this life. Rubbish. For the benefit of knowing Him and the power of His resurrection. And you're ready to be raised with Him in newness of life, with your sins forgiven. Why don't you come now and do that as we stand and as we sing.